I want to talk about some keys to living a life of no regrets. No regrets. The movie Braveheart is based on the life of a man named William Wallace who lived back in the 1200s. He was a Scottish freedom fighter and he was leading the rebellion of the Scottish clans against Edward I of England. They wanted freedom from English rule. Well, Wallace leads his army militia through a series of battles against the English, and as the movie progresses, he experiences victory and defeat, love and betrayal. And the betrayal results in his being brought to London to be tried for high treason. Wallace is now in prison. He's awaiting his execution when Princess Isabel, who has fallen in love with Wallace, comes to see him. And she pleads with him to do whatever it takes to save his own life. Watch the brief clip. I'm picking up on that phrase, every man dies, but not every man lives. There are four universal principles that enable you and I to live the life God created us to live, to live passionately, to love completely, to, you know, learn humbly, and to live boldly. Your life and my life is a gift from God. What you do with it is your gift back to God. The fuel for sustaining a no-regret lifestyle over the long haul has to have some passion. You know, some folks have the personality of a dial tone. And we don't get many of those anymore, do we, with the cell phones? Not anymore. John 10, verse 10, it says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. So God's purpose is to give you life, to give you some zest for living, to fill you with passion. You know, science is always trying to come up with new medicine so we can add years to our life. But Jesus said, I haven't come to add years to your life, but to add some life to your years. Are you really alive? You know, near the end of his life, One of the legends of Major League Baseball was Mickey Mantle. He called a press conference at Baylor University Medical Center up in Waco. I watched it. Having been ill with hepatitis, cirrhosis of the liver, and cancer, all from years of drinking and abusing his body, Mantle had just received a liver transplant. He looked frail, tired. His face was filled with regret. And before the cameras, this is what he said. I would like to say to the kids out there, take a good look. This is not a role model. Don't be like me. God gave me a body, the ability to play baseball, and that's what I wanted to do. But I just, and then he choked up and couldn't finish the sentence. After he recovered his voice, he said, I was given so much but it's just wasted. The Christian life is supposed to be an adventure. There ought to be some excitement in it. Life in all of its fullness, Jesus said. So God's intention for those that he created in his image and recreated in Christ is to live a life of inexpressible joy. You know, a life of hope that's alive, perfect love that casts out all fear. A life where our deepest hungers are satisfied and our thirsty souls get quenched. So what's it going to take to live a no-regrets life? 
I don't want to die in a nursing home drooling on myself on a bedpan wishing the kids would come see me or listening to myself blabber if only. And that happens way too much. That does not have to happen to you. It will not happen unless you make the choice. Paul answers the question in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. And remember, he's writing this from jail, but he still expresses a sense of excitement about life and an attitude of no regret. Here's what he said, Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained everything or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, can you drop some baggage? Can you leave that baggage behind, please? You know, lower the weight. Uh, He says, leaving what's behind, forgetting what's behind, I'm straining forward to what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, he writes, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So, the Apostle Paul gives us four ingredients for living a no-regrets life. So here we go. Number one, there has to be a certain amount of dissatisfaction in you. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained what I want or have already arrived at my goal, but I'm pressing to take hold of what Jesus took hold of me for. Let me tell you something. When God saves you, He assigns you. You have got a call. You have got a commission. You have got a place of service. He doesn't save you and then wait for aging to take you to heaven or a drunk driver. God assigns what He saves. A Sunday school teacher asked a little girl if she said her prayers every night. The little girl says, no, not every night, because some nights I don't want anything. She makes a good point. The point is, if you don't want anything, you won't ask. If you're not dissatisfied with something going on in your life, you're not going to do a thing about it. Dissatisfaction can be a great thing if it motivates you to change some of the things that you are seeking after for something better. That's it. You know, until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired of the situation you're in or what you're doing, I promise you, although God has the best intention for you, ain't nothing going to change. You have got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. So Paul was saying, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached maturity in Christ yet. And when you begin to feel that way, you'll want to go after what you want in a more determined way. It's that hunger for something better than you've got. You know, my parents, I remember, my father was divorced and remarried like five times. Here's what I did know. I didn't want that for my life. I didn't want the home life I was raised in to be my life. I didn't want my children to feel what I felt. I was not going to live that way as some old person with regret. 
So I, I used it not to feel sorry for myself, not to say I'm a victim, but to say, by golly, that goal is driving me towards something a whole lot better. I want a better marriage. I want a better life. I want my children to love the fact that we love them unconditionally, want to always come home and can't get them to leave. <laughs> I accomplished that. But I'm just telling you, it's a fact. I, I talked to a gentleman who is a millionaire, multimillionaire, that uh, attends our church uh, occasionally, uh, a, a very gracious man, but he came out of the swamps of Louisiana, and I remember he said to me over a meal, I determined I was not going to end up in my life ignorant, redneck, that, that was sloppy. He said, I was going to make something out of myself and nothing could stop me, and he did, and he did. So it's possible in this country. Can I say this? I, it's not religious it's just us talking over a cup of coffee. Would you older Christian TV people cut me some grace? If you can't make it in America, you suck. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I want to say. Go with me to any of the countries I travel in, and then you tell them how bad you have it. Good grief. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Brian Haney. Brian Haney hungered to find fulfillment in life. This 37-year-old entrepreneur had been through, what, five marriages, built a $100 million corporation, and attained the coveted state of clear as a Scientologist. Now, that meant he had achieved the highest level of freedom, personal control, and independence Scientology promises to its followers. He said, none of these triumphs took away the emptiness in my soul and dissatisfaction. Those in Scientology, he said, tell you that once you've made clear, you've made it. You're in. But you just keep walking around thinking, shouldn't I feel different, he said. So in 1994, Haney and his wife left the Church of Scientology, and with great resistance from its members, at one point, Haney said, they had to contact the police with concerns about their safety. In 1997, Haiti began attending St. John's African Methodist Episcopal Church with his wife and children. He said, I must have listened to 50 sermons of spirit-filled, word-based teaching before I realized I needed to give my life to Christ. At age 38, Haney sold his business, left the corporate world to concentrate on his family and his newfound relationship with God. Besides becoming a church trustee, and overseeing the congregation's new building project, he developed relationships with Christian groups that helped people rebuild their lives after leaving abusive religious groups. You know, Brian Haney's story is one of dissatisfaction. He wasn't satisfied spiritually. And that was a good thing because it led him to a personal relationship with Jesus. Prior to that, his heart and his life were just empty. So to live a no-regrets life, you and I need a sense of dissatisfaction, not dissatisfaction with Jesus, but with ourselves and where we are spiritually. I, you know, I remember sitting on a porch and we drove into this city with an idea, a vision of what we wanted God to do, and God has done so much of it, but it ain't done. I've, I mean, oh, I'm still dissatisfied. I, this is just a side note over coffee, relax. I love that screen. <laughs> now, everything here is ours, but not that screen. They, 
we rent that for special events. That, that fills that void back there so beautifully. So I asked Nathan, I said, Nathan, how much does a screen like that cost? He said, easy, $150,000. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Bobby looked over at me over there because I was just loving it. You know, I just love technology, and I love sight and sound. I mean, <clears throat> the church I went to, we had puppets. <laughs> That's knockout. It, when you like to watch a football game on that, yeah, yeah, or something, any sporting event. But I'm thinking, and Bobby says, well, just be 15 of us, give 10 grand. We got it and take it home. So I'm hoping somewhere in the near future we can take that thing home and put it up there. That is a knockout. Uh, uh, Phil, I'm trying to show you. I'm always looking for a better mousetrap, a better deal, uh, something better to communicate with, something that makes it more attractive to this, this uh, millennial generation, which is sight and sound and video. I'm just trying to show you. I'm not happy. I'm not sad. I'm happy. I'm not satisfied. I got... I got dreams for more. I'm still pressing, full court press. I haven't thought about AARP. I haven't thought about my Medicare. I haven't thought about retirement. I haven't thought about uh, going to the lake and just hanging out, drooling, having a beer and fishing. Sheesh. No, I'm an ambitious man. I, it, well, it keeps me alive. I mean, you make fun of me, but I'm doing better than you. That's, <laughs> Everything works. Ain't bad for 74, almost 75. Yeah, whatever. My daddy didn't look, didn't look like that when he was my age. All right, notice verse 13. Hey, I'm just trying to be folksy friendly with you, okay? Uh, uh, religion makes me so sick, uh, the, the, the nonsense that goes on. It's just real life, just real life. I, I want more out of life. I want to see God do more. If you think this is as good as God can do, you got a very limited God. God says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Come on, big boy. Make my day for your life, your career, your marriage. you got to have a bigger God. Some of you have shrunk. You know the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You've shrunk God. Well, notice verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of what God called me for, but one thing I'm doing, I'm forgetting what's behind, the good, the bad, and I'm straining forward to what's ahead. So there's got to be a little sense of dissatisfaction in you with where you are or you won't move. Number two, to live a no-regret life takes commitment. Commitment. Verse 12, I press. That's like a full-court press in basketball. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus saved me. So spiritual growth, like physical growth, takes time, you know, but when you try to ripen fruit too quick, it loses its flavor. Did you know, a little trivia, that in America, tomatoes are usually picked unripened, so they won't bruise during shipping to stores. Then before they're sold, like H-E-B, these green tomatoes are sprayed with CO2 gas, which turns them red instantly. Now, gas tomatoes are edible. But they're no match for the flavor of a vine-ripened tomato with mayonnaise on a sandwich. Sounding good to me. Did anybody but me ever eat tomato sandwiches? Oh, come on. Yeah, man, uh, that's good. 
So building a no-regret life takes time, and it calls for commitment. So it'll be real important for you to do a couple of things, like believe God's working in your life when you don't feel it, when you don't feel it. Sometimes you're going to have a short, intense burst of growth, and then there'll be other times that it's kind of flat. You'll kind of have your commitment tested. Will you quit or will you press on? Because he's working. And secondly, you need some patience. Patience with God, with the traffic on 281, and yourself. God's timetable is rarely the same as mine. So don't get in a hurry when God isn't. He doesn't wear a watch. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. He took 80 years to prepare Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Forty of those years were spent in a wilderness tending to sheep. Maturity comes through struggles, seasons of suffering. So be patient with the process. God's building you. He's training you for reigning. The 88-year-old Japanese president of Matsushita was asked, does your company have any long-range goals? He said, yes. The journalist said, how long are your goals? 250 years. And the reporter says, what do you need to carry them out? And the Japanese CEO says, patience, my friend, (laughs) patience, patiently endure. And to maintain commitment to build a no-regret life, you need to overcome discouragement. Habakkuk 2, verse 3, the Living Bible. But these things I plan for you won't happen right away. Now, that'll kill most Americans right there. What? I've been here five minutes. I prayed last night. Somebody prophesied over me and laid hands on me. What? These things won't happen right away. But slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair. Those things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. I remember reading a Peanuts cartoon showing Linus. He's handing Lucy a comic strip he wrote, and he's asking her for her opinion. And he said, Lucy, would you read this and tell me if you think it's funny? And Lucy asked him, who wrote it? And Linus says, he did. Lucy then wads it up, throws it away, and said, I don't think it's very funny. So Linus picks up the crumpled paper, throws his blanket over his shoulder, looking at Lucy, he says, big sisters are the crab grass in the lawn of life. It is so true. Nobody wants to be a loser. No one wants to be a source of discouragement. But if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being more pessimistic than optimistic. So you stop that. Just be, God doesn't count days. If God said you're going to have a baby, if he said it and you're 100 years old and your wife is 90, it's going to happen. Paint the room. Go ahead and buy the baby stuff because if he said it he will restrain the aging process it'll happen the numbers don't matter the years don't matter the age doesn't matter if God made a promise God will reverse time he will back the sun up uh, 10 degrees he will hold it still for Joshua he will feed you with ravens he will open the Red Sea he will pile up the waters of the Jordan River Tell me what the problem is you think God can't solve. If he made that promise, don't be judging it by the circumstances for the moment. 
That which I have begun in you, I will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. That'll keep me going every single day. So remember, you may not be what you want to be, but neither are you where you used to be. So press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Third way to live a no-regret life. You need some direction or vision. The Apostle Paul's direction was straight ahead. He said in verse 13, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute mile. Three months later, John Landy beat his record by 1.4 seconds. Three months after that, the two men met for a historic race. As they moved into the final lap, the other runners were far behind. Landy was ahead. It looked like he's going to win. But as he neared the finish line, he was haunted by the question, where's Bannister? Later, Landy was interviewed and he said, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won the race. Now, didn't Jesus say in Luke 9, verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't think the good old days were that good. I looked at a high school annual, and I didn't think the girls looked that good now, but I did then. And what I thought was really good then doesn't look so good now, right? I wish some of you could. Well, I wish it was like it. What do you want to go back to? This is the greatest day in history to be alive. You know, I, I don't want to go back to anything. Y'all okay? We do have EMS out here if, you, if you're not doing well. One time Thomas Edison's plant was on fire, and he helplessly watched it burn. He called his son Charles, go get your mother. Bring her over here. You're never going to see anything like this again. He said, there go all of our mistakes, son. Now we can start over. You know, I, I thought, someone said, people who live in the past are doomed to failure in the future. Let the movie Frozen, let it go, let it go. <laughs> oh, the peanut gallery is helping me out over here. You guys are good. See, living in the past can taint the future. It can do worse than that if you allow it to. You know, in an essay entitled, Good Guys Finish First, Sometimes, was published in the Chicago Tribune, September the 1st, 1996. Andrew Bagnack tells this story. Following a rags-to-riches season that led them to the Rose Bowl, their first in decades, Northwestern University Wildcats met with Coach Gary Barnett for the opening of spring training. As players found their seats, Barnett announced he was going to hand out awards that many of the Wildcats had earned in 1995. The coach called players forward and handed them big placards proclaiming their achievement as they were cheered on by teammates. One of the assistant coaches gave head coach Barnett a place card representing 17 National Coach of the Year awards. But as the applause subsided, Barnett walked over to a trash can marked 1995. He took an admiring glance at his placard and then he dumped it in the can. In the silence that followed, one by one, every member of the team 
took their placards and dumped them in the trash can behind the coach's example. The coach had said loud and clear, what you did in 1995 was terrific. But look at the calendar. It's 1996. So he said, all these awards we won, we put them in the trash can in 95. Now we got to win them again in 96. So it's great to celebrate the accomplishments of the past. But with God, our best days are always ahead. So keep your eyes on what's ahead if you want to live a no-regrets life, right? And last, number four, to live a no-regret life, you're going to need some determination. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's gutsy determination. Someone asked Paul Harvey, the famous radio commentator, to reveal his secret of success. Harvey said, I get up when I fall down. How about that? Some of you are still down. And it's time for you to get up. I think I told this story, I don't know, sometime this past year. I was on an airplane next to a CEO who buys failing uh, companies and who bills, uh, I want to say nursing homes, for elderly people. And we were talking about the mortality rate, and I remember saying to him, how do you know when someone's going to die? He said, I, I never forget the words he said, oh, that's easy. And I thought, easy? He said, yeah. When they fall, they can't get up. Then they don't eat. Then it's just a matter of the clock ticking and time. They're on their way to die. And then I thought of some people, including a relative, yeah, that's interesting. When they fall, they can't get back up. Can you get back up after a fall? I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about maybe you had a failure, a bankruptcy, a divorce. You've had a terrible setback. Things didn't go your way. Can you get back up? You don't drown because you fell in the water. You drown because you stay there. Get back up. Well, I can't believe you jilted me. Well, the sucker did. Now let's move on. There's plenty of more fish in the sea. God may be saving you from something worse and give you something much better. But you've got to move on. You've got to be able to put it behind you. It takes determination to go forward and do anything in life. Anything. You know, to go to work, to do a good job, to clean the house, to build a house, to build a business, to build a ministry, to raise a family, to live a no-regret life. So determination often separates the winners from the losers. You know, while growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina, Michael was not considered a talented basketball player, not like his brother Larry. Larry consistently would beat him in one-on-one -on -one games. In his sophomore year of high school, Michael was cut from the varsity team, which was a devastating blow to his ego. However, it only fired him up to work harder and make the cut next year. So he'd go to school early before class and on weekends to work on his shot to hone his skills. When he arrived at the University of North Carolina to begin his college career, he told assistant coach Roy Williams about his ambition to be the best player in the game. A few days later during practice, Coach Williams shouted out, You're dogging it, Mike. Come on, show some hustle. And Michael blurted back, Coach, I'm working as hard as everybody else. And Williams shot back, Yeah, you are, but you told me you want to be better than everybody else. So you're going to have to work harder than everybody else. And from that 
day forward, Michael Jordan determined he would practice harder and longer than anybody else for as long as he played the game. And boy, did he. That's dogged determination. Some dogs have it. Some dogs don't. Some people have it. Some people don't. Some of you quit too easy. Honestly, don't, don't be a quitter. You know, you've got to stick. There's nothing that's easy. If all your problems are behind you, you probably drive a school bus. Everybody, there's no problem-free marriage, job, ministry, church, relationship, doesn't exist. Verse 14, to press on towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called you, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Last thought. Remember William Wallace's quote, every man dies. That's a given, but not every man really lives. When you come to the end of your life, you want to be able to say, I've really lived. You know, I don't want to say I wasted my life. God gave you the ability to make money. How, how many cars and houses and jets can you buy? Are you, are you using that, that ability to sing or your ability to uh, work in a corporate office in some computer fashion or whatever, or are you just wasting it? There's probably no greater sorrow than to come to the end of your life knowing you just threw it away. You didn't help anybody. You didn't make the world a better place. You didn't expand the kingdom of God. And you just wasted it. What a shame to look and watch people just wasting talent, wasting talent, wasting talent. And then at the end of the life, it's coulda, shoulda, woulda, but it's too late. You don't want to waste that life. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I fought a good fight. Did the best I could. I finished the race. I kept the faith. That's the best God could ask for you. If you're going to live a no-regret life, you're going to need to be in with some dissatisfaction for where you are now. Then you're going to need a strong commitment to fulfill God's purpose for your life and be patient with God's timing. You also need some direction, always looking ahead, not dwelling on the past, but vision. And can I say you need this one? Gutsy determination or grit. G R I T. Guts, resilience, industriousness, and tenacity. That means somebody gonna have to kill you to stop you. Have you got grit? Because everybody that made anything had multiple failures, multiple setbacks, multiple disadvantages and discouragement. But, oh, they had grit. I wish I could buy it and give it to everybody in here. I wish I could force it into you. I wish I could throw water on you and it would give it to you. But it's something that comes from inside. You've just got to ask God for a determination to press towards the goal which God called you heavenward in. John Borden was the son of multimillionaire William Borden. He graduated from Yale University. He stunned his wealthy family and all of his classmates by dedicating his life to spreading the gospel in China. None of them could understand why this guy would set aside the comfort of an affluent lifestyle for the rigors and hardship of China. Yet John Borden believed there was nothing more important than sharing the message of good news. On his way to China, he contracted spinal meningitis 
He died in a Cairo, Egypt hospital. On the bedside table, he had penned a little note, and it said, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. What will you say? I pray God will give you the fortitude to go for it and live a no-regret life. You get this one life, and it's basically choice. You can choose whatever you want, to be or not to be, to do or not to do, to be blessed or to be cursed, to choose right, to choose wrong. It's all in your hands. Nobody to blame but me. So I urge you, make the good call. Make the choice. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.